Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hey, audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Last week, we had uh, Kevin Bubb, uh, who's an awesome syndicator and a sponsor in the mobile home park space. And he gave a lot of insight on you know, why did he chose mobile home park and what happened during the 2008 and uh, you know how he rebounded in his real estate career and, uh, and a lot of other things. So you guys want to check out that episode. Today, we have uh, Todd Dexmeyer. Hey, Todd, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, good. Very good, very good. So Todd owns almost 550 units and he has been buying in uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Ohio, Tennessee. Is that right, Todd? I mean, it's all this yep. states is where you're focusing, which is completely different from uh, the usual guests that we get who buys in Florida and Texas, right? <laughs> uh, so I want to really dive into these, uh, you know, these states, which is not the usual focus or not the usual point of discussion that, you know, a lot of uh, multifamily syndicators and, and investors have. Todd, uh, why not you introduce yourself in case I missed out something? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it, you know, a little bit about my background. I started doing this uh, business actually right when the crash happened. I started in 2008. The timing was great. At the time, people were telling me I was stupid and crazy because uh, the sky was falling, you know, but luckily I didn't listen to them. I, you know, bucked the trend and, and instead of running away. I, I ran head first in. Uh, so started buying single families, did a lot of fix and flips, did uh, a bunch of them, probably 150 or so. And uh, was really though wanting to focus on rentals the whole time. So while I, would, while I didn't have any money as I flipped, I would just keep a little bit of that cash that I would get from the flip and, and buy some rentals. And that's how I was able to build up my rental portfolio. Bought a lot of uh, one to four families, some small apartments. Uh, did that all locally in the Twin Cities, and and I got up to maybe close to a hundred units, just under that at one point in time. Uh, before I kind of transitioned them out of the flips, out of that smaller um, one to four family stuff, and into uh, apartments. I've since sold a few buildings in in the Twin Cities, but I've been buying and mostly out of state in Cincinnati, Kentucky area, Tennessee. Uh, that's been my my main focus now is just buying. I I went from buying kind of twenty to thirty unit type buildings to then now and buying you know larger hundred plus unit buildings. So that's my main focus now is looking at hundred plus unit buildings. And uh, doing value add syndication. Awesome, awesome. Hey, Todd. Uh, I mean, looking at your bio, you also have done some office, some ski resort, some mobile <laughs> home park, and finally, I think now you're focusing a lot on. Uh, I mean, you have been focusing a lot on apartments, right? And uh, yeah, why is that? I mean, didn't the other businesses make a lot more money than apartments? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, everything made 
plenty of money. They all make sense. Look, uh, that's the beautiful thing about real estate and the confusing thing about real estate is it all makes sense, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I could make a lot of money in office. I can make a lot of money in retail and in uh, warehouses and all kinds of stuff. And I can make money in development and owning land and, mm-hmm. you know, they all in mobile home parts. I mean, Ke- you talked about Kevin Bopp and he's, he, yeah. he's a fantastic guy. He's making a lot of money, uh, I'm pres- assuming, in uh, mobile home parts. And so, that's the beautiful thing about real estate, but you got to pick your focus, right? And so, uh, yeah, did I do? I did some development. I did some land. You know, I had, a, I like you said, I owned a ski resort, which is mm-hmm. just super random. Do you still own it? I don't. I sold it. Okay. Um, I thought it was coming just, it was, and uh, leaving there. Yeah, it was vacation. a distraction. It was a beautiful <laughs> place. Look, it was like 190 acres or something like that. It was beautiful. It was a, the, mm-hmm. a nice, really nice river ran through one of the edges of the property. He thought, so looks like you have done, you know, quite different types of business, right? Like uh, office, some ski resort, some mobile home park. And, uh, you know, you started with small apartment complex and all that. But finally, you ended up focusing a lot on uh, apartment complexes, right? And why is that? Yeah, um, because apartments make you a lot of money. No, uh, the, 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 answer, the answer is I just, I needed to focus on, one main thing. And I could have chosen office. I could have chosen retail and warehouse or buying, you know, distressed land like this ski resort. But it, and I and I did. I right. I did I did all that. But there there's just no focus when you're doing just random stuff like that. And I wanted to really focus and I wanted to build something big. And so ultimately it was a choice of okay, what do I what do I really enjoy and what do I really want to focus on? You know, the beautiful thing about real estate, there's so many different options. Every way makes money. And I've got mm-hmm. friends that do note buying. I've got friends that, you know, flip houses, that uh, wholesale, that, you know, do land development, everything. And they all make they all make a lot of money if they focus on it and they do it well. So that's just, that's why I just had to focus. I just had to have one niche that I picked. And ultimately, I was most attracted and most led to multifamily. Awesome. Awesome. So looking at the states that you have invested right now, right? So how is, I mean, I'm not sure whether you know, like, you know, like the popular state, I would say like Texas, Florida, Las Vegas, Arizona, Phoenix yep. and all that, right? So it's insane. I mean, how is the market different compared to, you know, this popular state? How's the market in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Ohio, you know, I think Tennessee different from the other markets that you know a lot of people know. Yeah, so Minnesota is a totally different market than all of them. Minnesota is a extremely competitive market. You and I talked offline. I mean, it's a super competitive market. There's there's very very little inventory. Yeah. Very competitive. Cap rates are very extremely compressed. Almost impossible to find deals. Not that you can't, but it, I mean, extremely hard. There's just not a lot of deals that sell, especially when you're talking 100 plus unit deals. Uh, just not a lot of deals that sell. Eighty-seven. And this is where the Twin Cities are there, right? Yep. This is Minneapolis and St. Paul, the Twin Cities. You know, if you go way out state, it's mm-hmm. a different story. But you don't want to invest there because nobody lives there. Um, so if you're going to remain populous, which is Minneapolis, St. Paul, or the the Rochester area, which is where the Mayo Clinic has a, a lot of people know what the Mayo Clinic is. It's one of the best hospitals in the the U.S. That those are the two areas where most people are investing in, and it's next to impossible to find a deal. 
What what is so special about this twin cities? I mean, I I mean, you now it's like what Phoenix and Las Vegas, but past three four years, I mean, I used to read Marcus and Milicha report, and they always say the top city to invest is twin cities, and I I, yeah. I can never Google it, and now you are telling me, you know, many the uh, you know what is a twin city? Right? What's the real definition? Where is it located? And but I know what is so special? Why is it the top city? Yeah, well, look. I mean, I think we're the 16th largest metro in the U.S. If I if I'm correct, and, and I think I think I am. We you know we got 3.8 million people in in the whole metro area, which we call the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a large portion of of uh, Fortune 500 companies are based here. It's went down recently because there's been some mergers, but there's essentially still here. It's just a couple of companies that merged. Mm-hmm. So we've got a very large amount of Fortune 500 companies. And it's just a stable, steady place, right? We don't have, we're never going to have big population gains, but we don't have population loss. And our rents never go skyrocket up. Uh, I mean, they've skyrocketed recently, but we call skyrocketing three and a half percent increase. You know, mm-hmm. that's skyrocketing for the Twin Cities as far as rent goes. But we're mm-hmm. going to see, you know, that just stable, that really stable, just it's it's never that up and down. It's not like a Phoenix. It's not like a Florida. It's not like that, just that roller coaster ride. We're just straight. Mm-hmm. And so people like that. Our occupancy rate in the Twin Cities is, uh, I mean, I think we've now gone down, came down a little bit, but we're at about 97% occupancy. Up until fairly on average, recently. wow, that's that's really good. It's amazing. People couldn't find places to live. I mean, if you if you were an okay landlord, you were full. <laughs> okay. So the only people that were full were just the slumlords, and even they were close to being full. Wow. So, so <laughs> and that probably could be the reason why you know you can't find inventory, right? Just there's no inventory, right? So yeah, yeah, it's 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 good. So the difference, so that's that's one market, and then and then the other markets that I'm really focused on are going to be like Cincinnati. Cincinnati now, as you start to really look, Cincinnati's in some of the lists now of markets to be looking at. And I just I just looked up the other day, like the best cities to, uh, or the cities with the best population growth or job growth, and Cincinnati was on there. Hmm. So you're starting to see the markets that I'm invested in be on those lists, and they weren't on there before. So basically what it was is through my research, I wanted to find markets that hit all the criteria that I'm looking for. That's job growth, that's population growth, that's strong government um, and independent support for businesses, bringing in businesses. That's good rent affordability. That was huge on my list. I wanted cities that had good rent affordability, opportunity to purchase assets that were cash flowing with decent cap rates. I wasn't necessarily looking for like a 10 cap, but I wanted decent cap rates. I wanted a market that I didn't feel like compressed to the point of where when we do see whatever recession is coming next, that they're going to go way back up. And so those were the markets that I really tried to focus on. And and that's what I feel like I found. Now, since I found them, they have definitely compressed a lot more. Um, you know, it's, it's challenging. But when I first started in those markets, there was a lot of opportunity and, and there still is. But. Got it. Got it. So how was your experience uh, from going from um, 
you know, buying and flipping houses into like syndication, right? Why did you make that leap into syndication? Yeah, flipping houses suck. I, I, I hate <laughs> it's a lot of work, right? I mean, it's I've a tried, lot of work. I've tried two times and I, I promised myself I'm not going to do it again. So. Yeah, it's, it's just so much head damage in flipping houses. And can you make some good money? Yeah, I made some good money. I'm not going to say I didn't, but there's just a lot of a lot of liability, a lot of head damage. You're dealing with a lot of contractors, and you're you're in you're just always and homeowners and emotions and and it's just you're always trying to you're always grinding. You never and and not that I like care about that. I I enjoy grinding. I mean, I do it in multifamily right now, but I feel like I'm actually getting somewhere. Where with the flips, I felt like I was on that hamster wheel, or I got to buy one and I got to immediately find another one, and I'm right. always like running in a circle. And so that was kind of the the reasoning I wanted to get out of. Plus I'm paying, you know, short-term capital gains or ordinary income. I just didn't like that. Now, multifamily syndication made a lot of sense because I had a lot of investors. When I was doing flips, I was bringing in private money to my flips. I wasn't using hard money. I was using just private money people I had met that wanted to invest in my deals. And that's how I got them involved and and so when I wanted to transition into multifamily, it was pretty easy to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. You want to come on board or not? And all my investors said, yeah, let's do it. Ultimately, that was what, James, I wanted to do from the very start. When I first started this real estate journey back in 2007, when I started reading books before mm-hmm. I ever bought anything, I read several multifamily books, one by David Lindell. Um, called Multifamily Millions, another one by Ken McElroy called ABCs of Real Estate Investing. And I loved those books and it that said, this is where I want to go. And I had always been kind of obsessed with it, but I had no clue how I was going to take down a million dollar plus building. And so I just kind of got scared and let it fall by the wayside. So how did you take that leap? Uh, who helped you? And uh, was it like an aha moment? One day you wake up and you bought it? or what? <laughs> <laughs> So I had a business partner and ultimately it was time to for us to kind of separate and, and, and go our own ways. I wanted to do something different than the flips and wanted to take this multifamily leap. I started by buying some smaller, like I said, 10 to 20 to 30 unit buildings and that that was making a big step there and then just started like listening to people on podcasts and going you know why why am i doing this i hired a business coach too and and i remember talking to him and, and going i think he said like what why are you why are you buying another 20 unit and i said well you know like i got to keep on buying these and then eventually i'll get up to you know 100 plus unit building he says why not do it now? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> why not do it now? You know, so it's just like somebody just needed to tell me, like, what are you doing? Let's just do it now. Like, and it wasn't like, oh, wow, that's a scary thing. When he said it, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Let's just do it now. You're right. Yeah. So I don't know. Sometimes you just got to be told, like, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Just go do it. Just like, go do it. Yeah. Why? Well, you just need someone to. I mean, just. A little kick in the pants sometimes. A little kick or a knock on the head or what? Hey, <laughs> you can't do it now, right? Why not you do it, right? So that's yeah. very interesting. So yeah. what are the things that you, uh, when you started syndication, right? I mean, um, I mean, when you look at a deal, right? when you get a deal, 
I mean, first of all, you're already finding it hard to find inventory, right? But whenever you find an inventory that comes to you, uh, how, what kind of things do you look at? Um, I'm sure kind of the same as, as most people. I, I'm looking, you know, beyond the, this, the city in the, in the neighborhood, which I already kind of mentioned, I'm looking for that population growth, that job growth. I'm, I'm really digging into the neighborhood too. And I want the neighborhood to have the same fundamentals that I'm looking for in the city. I want that specific neighborhood to have too. And, and, and low crime and, and, you know, that growth is what I'm looking for. Um, so beyond that, though, as property specific, I'm looking for an opportunity that has something wrong with it, and it it might be uh, has really high expenses that I can that I can take down. Uh, you, you know, utilities are a big one where people aren't. You know, we can we can put some like LED stuff in. We can put low flow toilets in. We can do energy efficient stuff that's really going to cut down on our bills and increase our ROI. We can do rubs, um, which is ratio utility billing where we're charging back to the tenants, those people who don't know. Um, And then potentially, you know, depending on how the property is being run, there might be some other potential small things that we can do. And then of course, on the, uh, on the income side, we're looking at can we raise rents by doing improvements to the property? We don't like to raise rents just by just to raise rents. I like to provide something good for my tenant base. And then you know there might be other things like there might be uh, just occupancy issues that the other management company or other owner just wasn't on top of things. Uh, collection issues. Potentially there's um, there's crime issues or there's other just you know, management issues at the property where they have the wrong tenant base in and, you know, we can, we can correct those problems that are happening. Got it. Got it. How's the, I mean, out of this, this five cities, uh, five uh, state that you invest in, like, is there any difference in landlord friendliness within the city? You know, they're actually all fairly similar as far as the, the landlord friendliness. They all have different quirks to them. You know, some of them I have to give uh, like a five-day notice to the tenant before you can evict them. Some of them you can't set their stuff out on the curb, you know, right away. You have to give them, you know, like in Minneapolis, if if you evict the tenant uh, and they leave stuff at the property, you have to hold on to that stuff for 28 days. Oh. Now, it doesn't have to stay in the property. You can put it in a storage or whatever. And they, okay. but they have, they have, Time it used to be sixty days, um, <laughs> but they have time to be able to get their belongings. Uh, so they're all a little bit different, but I would say all all in all, they're kind of we're probably less right in the middle. You know, I, I I hear some other states are being better. For instance, Texas, I hear is really good. Yeah, yeah I, I, you just kind of raised your eyebrows and <laughs> rolled your eyes a little bit, and I've heard that too by other people. And yeah, I think what happens is. You know, and not saying every state is the same because there's some states that I'm sure are really hard on landlords. But mm-hmm. I think if you know and understand the laws and understand, you know, what you can and can't do to get your tenants out and that type of stuff, it, it, it's most states are just fine. Like there, it's yeah. not that difficult to move tenants out. For instance, Minnesota, a lot of people have that kind of misunderstanding. I don't know where it came, comes from. Uh, that you can't kick a tenant out in the winter. And that's that's not true. I, I mm. actually 
my company just evicted one of our tenants and their their date to be sat out is I think December 12th, you know, so you can, you know, there's, mm. there's, and it's, it's winter here. I mean, December 12th is, it's, yeah. you know, next week is going to be uh, zero degrees out. You just have to understand it. And if you understand that the, the landlord laws, the tenant laws, you know, you're just, you're going to be just fine. So get, get the right people around you, surround yourself with the right people. Got it. Got it. And also I see in your, in your bio that you do uh, some kind of, you know, you have a passion to teach undeserved youth and adults on how to create financial independence, right? So can you explain about that? Yeah. You know, so I volunteer for a nonprofit called Junior Achievement. A lot of people know that. And I, uh, my passion, and I don't know exactly where I'll take it, but my passion is just continue to do that. And raise awareness, raise money and for people who you know don't have the opportunity to have what we have and do what we do. A lot of people don't even know business, being a business owner, being an entrepreneur is even like a possibility for them. Uh, and it's possible for everybody because there's a lot of people that come from nothing, especially, you know, I see people from different countries come here that have nothing or start with nothing and they do amazing things. And there's people living in this country that just don't even think it's possible. Like they don't know that it's there. So I want to just really educate people. The other thing is I'd love to figure out somehow how to get financial education into the schools. And that's a tall task, I know, and it may never happen. But that's one of the things I really want to do. I used to be a high school teacher. Um, I really think it's important to teach our, our youth about how to be responsible financially and just about the amazing opportunities that there are out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in the U.S., right, where it's a capitalist, uh, it's a capitalism country, right? Yeah. And, you know, anybody can, you know, make a lot of money as long as they're willing to work hard. You find the right people to be, you know, coached on, right? Uh, and and you you know, you you on the right path, you work hard, you should be able to make a lot of money. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, it's completely different from a lot of other countries out there. I mean, people yeah. may not appreciate how much you can, how much, uh, you know, freedom to create wealth in the US unless you have traveled outside and you have lived in other countries, right? Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people do not know that. So that's really good. Take I mean, it for I, granted. Yeah, I mean, people, a lot of people here take it for granted and every a lot of people do think that they, uh, you know, somebody else owe, owe them something, right? So... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a hard mindset to change. I mean, one of my very first tenants, Uh um, and this is partly where it came from, one of my very first tenants in single family house, she moved in, uh, she had Section 8. And she said, you know, I'm not going to have this Section 8 for very long. So will you take me when I drop out of Section 8? I said, oh, absolutely. Yeah, as long as your income and you meet the requirements, no problem. Okay, Hmm. I'm going to do that. I got my real estate. I'm getting getting my real estate license and I'm going to get out of this. My mom had Section 8. My grandma had Section 8. And I don't want to be part of the the circle. And she never got out of Section 8. I, I had to actually evict her because she wasn't even paying her portion of rent. And I don't know where she's at today. I'm hoping she's out of Section 8. But my guess... My just guess, my gut is she's probably still in Section Eight and then never learned really what to do and how to get out of it. Yeah. And I, I'd like to be able to help end that cycle. Yeah, that's that's a very good thing that you're doing because I think sometimes they need someone in the business circle to go back and you know just tell hey the possibilities out there in the business world, right? So yeah, that's very important. So so Todd, why not? Uh, 
And and I mean, just let us know, like in when you look at the uh, multifamily uh, apartment, I, I presume you're doing a lot of value add deals, right? What is there anything that you find in terms of what's the most valuable value add when you're doing all this turnaround? Oh boy, I mean, it's different for every project, but one of the things I like the most is trying to find expense, um, just expenses that we can cut and but be efficient, effectively cut. Like, like I, I don't want to just cut repairs and maintenance because those are going to come back, right? And they're going to probably come back and bite me uh, because I tried to cut those and be cheap. Um, but now if we can do things, we can cut them by buying in bulk, by buying the right materials, by being efficient at what our scheduled repairs versus just randomly doing it when it finally breaks. If we, if we get into a, a more of a rhythm and a schedule, we can actually cut expenses, which a lot of people don't understand. Like, how is that possible? Because we're, we're always on the property and always scheduling things, but preventative maintenance is actually going to save you money versus having something that breaks. I mean, think about a furnace, right? If, if you go and you change the furnace filters every single, you know, every, every month, um, you're going to, you're going to, extend the life of your furnace by potentially 10 or more years just by doing something like that. So that's one big thing. The other big thing with expenses, and this is my favorite one is, and I already mentioned this is the utilities and, you know, cutting back on a lot of the utility costs by doing, there's a lot of different things we can do. We can replace the toilets with the low flows. We can put on a water meet, water reading system where it can tell if, and it can send us a reading if we have a water leak, you know, just silly things like that, that seem like they shouldn't, you know, save you that much money, end up saving you a ton of money. And the reason why this stuff is my favorite, the expense reduction is my favorite is because this is a recession proof system, right? If we cut our expenses and a recession whacks us, guess what? Our expenses aren't going to go way up. But if we jack our rents up today and a recession happens, what happens with our rents? They go back down, right? And they do. And I don't care what people tell you that multifamily rents don't go down. They do. They go down. Oh, yeah, they do. And so, so raising rents, while I like that, and I'm not going to tell you we don't raise rents, but we know that by cutting expenses down, as long as we do it the right way and not just cut to cut because we want to be cheap, but if we do it the right way, that's recession proof, and that's going to continue to keep our NOI high during a recession. That's a very interesting perspective uh, because, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, rents can go up and down, right? <laughs> but uh, once you optimize your expenses, uh, you're probably going to be, you know, sticking to it, right? So you yeah. good to invest on your expenses. That's that's a very interesting perspective. That's good. So Todd, uh, why not? Let's go to a bit, bit more personal side of it, right? So do you have any uh, secret sauce to success? I mean, uh, on your personal side? I mean, there's no secret sauce, right? It's all out there. It's all about, um, you know, several different, I mean, if you can do the few things, you know, focus, following one course until success, fo- you know, keeping keeping yourself completely focused. That's extremely difficult, right? But because we got so many distractions out there, but limiting those as much as we can, you know, never giving up, uh, always pushing on, always continuing to persevere, being consistent and persistent. Uh, those are all. Those are all really big. I mean, it's it's very easy 
in this industry and in any industry to get get kind of discouraged. You know, you get beat out on 10, 20, 30, 40 properties mm-hmm. and you don't get one and you, you get discouraged. Look, I haven't bought a property since May. Do you think I'm excited that I haven't bought a property since May? No, I would love to have a property right now under contract, but I don't. And but I'm not discouraged. I'm going to keep keep on going and keep on pushing on and keep on putting on offers until I get one. So I think those are just really important things to to focus on. I think obviously you need to be clear. You need to have goals. You need to you know understand where you're trying to go with this business. Those are all so important. So there's no secret. I wish there was because and I found it, but you know it's just you've gotta. It's a hard, it's it's hard work. Being an entrepreneur can be lonely at times. You know, you're all alone it's at the top. Lonely at the top. <laughs> you're getting your butt kicked, and and uh, you know, but hey, it is. It's uh, a yeah. it's a, but it's a fun business at the same time. There's a lot of reward yeah. in the end when you're building something bigger than yourself. Yeah, it's interesting. Even on the previous podcast, we were talking about how the world has changed compared to like past five to six years to now, because now with social media, you feel a lot of FOMO, right? Because you start seeing people are closing deals and doing deals and and you are like, oh, I didn't buy since uh, March, you know, (laughs) am I like, so you have, you know, you have to really, really control, uh, you know, your fear of missing out. Especially now you can see everybody's uh, what's happening. Stop comparing yourself to others. For one, you don't know what others are doing. You don't know what type of ownership structures they have or anything like that. You know, when I look at my properties and I really probably dive into them, you know, I have really good ownership structure on my properties. And some people that have three times the amount of units, four times the amount of units that I do, they probably have less ownership, less overall you know, whatever you want to call it, equity yeah. than, than I potentially have. And so if you want to compare yourself to others, you're always going to be disappointed. You just have to look at yourself and go, am I happy where I'm at today? You know, where are the goals that I have for myself in the future? And where am I at today? And what do I need to get to do to keep on pushing on? That's what you got to look at. If you, If I look at what you're doing, and what everybody else is doing, what Kevin Bupp is doing, I'm going to be disappointed in myself. I'm going to want to, you know, buy these properties and I'm going to end up doing stupid stuff. It's just correct, how it is. Correct, correct. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's surprising. Sometimes people can claim they own a half a billion dollar in assets, but he may be poorer than the guy who owns hundred units on his own. Right? Yeah. So, because they had half a billion, they probably own like uh, what, 10, 20% out of it. And out 20%, they probably own like- Or a half a percent. 30% out of it. And out of that 30%, they probably- gave so much money for all the capital raises that they are hiring, right? And they probably own 0.001 out of that. That's exactly. Half a billion, right? So, you know, just, I mean, just audience, I mean, you guys really want to make sure that you don't get caught into all this marketing hype that you're seeing in Facebook or LinkedIn or what, right? So the real guys are really working, right? So you'll be able to identify the real guys just by talking to them in terms of uh, what are they doing and, uh, you know, how are they podcasting? How are they portraying themselves and, yep. you know, talking to their passive investors, right? So yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there's a lot of noise, like you said. <laughs> a lot of noise. And and sometimes this, the, the rise of social media, I mean, I mean, you have a Facebook group, I have a Facebook group. Sometimes, uh, you know, the amount of, uh, I mean, just in general, Facebook itself, there's so much of uh, uh, noise out there that, you know, you, you know, it creates a lot of FOMO in a lot of people. So you have to yep. be really watching out for that. Yeah. Was there any proud moment in real estate that you think I'm really, really proud 
of that moment uh, i really proud that i did something that's going to stay with you for a long time you know i guess just just getting started at, from the beginning is probably probably what i'm most proud of is that like i said at the beginning now everybody goes oh 2008 that was an amazing time what a lucky guy but at the same time you ask yourself this did you invest in 2008 you know, most of you, most everybody listening has to say no, mm-hmm. because they were either, well, maybe too young, but, or they're running the other way. And I was young in 2008, uh, but I, I just took that risk. I believed in it and I saw what was possible. And so that's probably what I'm, I'm most proud of when everybody else was running the other way. I ran right to the fire hydrant. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, even now it's hard to find deals. I mean, it was the same thing in 2008. It's hard to find deals. Even in 2010, it's hard to find deals. It's always 11, 12, all the time. It's always hard to find deals. It's never such things. Well, that's the thing is, and you said it, and that's perfect right there. And I'm glad you said that because it's, it's always hard to find deals. It's always easy to say there was a lot of deals back then. Correct. Right. We might be saying in 2025 that every deal in 2019 and 2020, we should have bought, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know right now. We do not know. Yeah. But in 2011, 2008, you know, all those years, while it was happening, there was not a lot of great deals to buy because the market was totally different than it is today. And you didn't know where it was going to go. You just Mm -hmm. didn't know. You have to buy on today's fundamentals. You can't buy on tomorrow's fundamentals because we don't know where it's going. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He thought, uh, why don't you tell our audience how to get hold of you? Uh, yeah. So I've got, uh, you know, I've got several things, you know, if they, they want to listen to my podcast, they can definitely listen to that. It's pillars of wealth creation. They can reach out to me if they want to learn more about my company and investing and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. They can reach out to me at my websites, uh, venturedproperties.com, or they can email me Todd at VentureDProperties.com, and then I do uh, some. I do coaching as well. Uh, master run some mastermind uh, groups and coaching. And if they want to learn more about that, uh, they can either email me at that at that email address, or they can go to uh, my website, which is CoachWithDaxDex.com as well. Awesome, Todd. Thanks for coming on the show. You added tons of value, gave us a lot of perspective uh, of uh, you know different markets that I, I'm not familiar with, and I'm sure a lot of listeners are not familiar with. And how did you, you know, came up in life, and uh, you know you've been giving back as well. So really happy for that. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Lots of fun. Appreciate you having me on. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.